We're going to put all the things at the, at the end of the service right now. I'm not going to take an offering right now. We're not going to do any announcements. I'm going to just talk a little bit. And uh, I'm just going to share my heart. Uh, I feel this morning uh, the Lord leading me down a little different path maybe than what I was prepared for today. Um, actually, I'm prepared for a couple different things today, and I'm not sure if I'm going to go do either one of them. But I want to talk about church. I want to talk about our body. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about the pursuit of Jesus. I want to talk about passion. I want to talk about purpose. I want to talk about why we're here. We have a good church. We have a great church, actually. We are blessed that the fact that the Holy Spirit is in our church. We have awesome worship. We have awesome times in the Lord today. We have awesome people in this church. We have committed people in this church. This morning, even the Lord was here while we were practicing our for, for worship, and, and I came in and listened to him, and Scott, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit, so just hang with me, okay? Um, you know, Scott is a, an awesome man of God. Yeah, we've had our problems, we've had our differences, but, you know, God has healed, and God has brought us back to be closer than brothers, and it's so awesome. I'm so thankful. But here's a man that, of all people, shouldn't be here today. If we knew Scott's schedule over the past week, being a police officer here in Charlevoix, and all the time and effort that he spent being on, the feet, being on his feet and, and doing the things that he does to service our community, above and beyond what he gets paid, because we all know that police officers don't, don't get paid what they're worth. Amen? She knows. She already knows, believe me. But, you know, then Scott's going to go referee to this afternoon. He's going to go referee uh, for no charge. He's going to referee a basketball game of probably, it could be a couple hours probably, because it's going to be at a benefit for Keith Haskey. And, you know, when Scott was in here worshiping, the Lord just threw it on me. It just didn't put, he just threw it on me with the presence of his purpose here and, Scott, and, and, and the appreciation that I have for committed people. The fact that Scott is here today, and he could say very easily, I'm just too tired. You know, I, I am just exhausted. I, I am just too tired to be here today because of my schedule. And rightly so, and no one would have thought anything different. Everyone would have said, yep, Scott, I can understand that. But you know, Scott has a priority of his life that's maybe a little bit different than the world. And I'm just using Scott as an example, but I've seen it at other people in this church as well. And, and if I start saying names, I know I always risk not mentioning everybody. But there are some people here that are just so unbelievably faithful. Jim and Angel Beers, Lawrence and Sandra Bergman, Robin and Jeff Koteski, my wife. Um, and there's others. I'm sorry if I, don't, if, I, if I miss a name. But, you know, Tabitha's Closet. Go back and look at Tabitha's Closet. Go back and look at the organization of Tap of the Skies. Do you have any idea? Do you have any idea how much time and effort Jim and Angel put into that organization, put that into that room back there? They bring bags, six, seven, eight bags sometimes a week from Julie's store at Petoskey, 
bring it here, they sort it out, they make sure it's clean, they wash it if they have to, they put it on hangers, they organize it by seasons, fall, winter, spring, or winter. It's all set up back there, and they service it, then they come in on Mondays at 2.30 to 5, and any other time they get called to be there for people so they can give away clothes. And most of us don't even know that. The amount of time Larry Bogue spends doing treasury work here at the office that nobody sees. The time that Jackie puts into praise and worship that nobody sees. The time that Sandra and Lawrence put into Play Cafe that nobody sees. And making the food out there. Every morning you come in on Sunday morning, so that food out there, that didn't come from Keebler's kitchen with the little elves last night. That came from Sandra Bergman and Lawrence putting up with it. All the smells in the home. Those nice smells. So I, I, you know what, I hope you go the drift I'm getting here and, and, that, and that there are people in this church that are absolutely awesomely committed to this church. And God will bless, and God has blessed, and God is blessing those people. Amen? Yeah. You know, we've been going down, we've been talking about the churches, the letters of Jesus to the churches. And Jesus always talks about, when he gives the letter, um, he always starts with a commendation. And he starts with it, the accolades that the church is worth. Because the church is good. I mean, it's his idea. He orchestrated it. So the concept of church is good. But he also, also brings the, the, the challenge to the churches that we're not, even though that we are a working church, in fact, that's the church of Thyatira that we're not going to talk about today. We'll talk about it next week. But the church of Thyatira is a working church, known for its service, known for its work. But yet Jesus says, I have something against you yet because you're still allowing some things to come in that are not so good. Not so good. So we'll talk about that next week. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about where are, as a, we as a church, I see good, I see the challenge, I see where we need to go. I don't know exactly how to get there, but I see that I'm very open to be taught, and I'm very open for people's ideas. And I want to get the best of the best ideas. I don't want it to be just my idea. Uh, I may be the leader, but I'm not the know-it-all. I may be the person in charge because of the title, but that doesn't mean anything to me. What I want is this church to grow spiritually. Number one, spiritually. Because if we can grow spiritually, we'll grow numerically. And I'm not so concerned about the numbers so that we have a big church. I'm concerned about the numbers that we're adding to Heaven's Roll Call. I'm concerned about souls. I'm not concerned about, I'm not wanting to go to other churches and grab people from another church and bring them in so we can have a bigger church. That's not my plan at all. What I'm, what, what, what I'm about is going into, the, into those that are lost and hurting and being a place for them to come as a refuge and a place to heal and a place to know Jesus. So, how do we do that? How do we do that now? We have a model that we're doing right now, and some could argue, some could say it's working, some could say it's not working. I think it's both. I think it works, and I think it can be improved upon. Um, you know, when we have Sunday morning, uh, our Sunday, let's just talk about Sunday mornings for a minute. Sunday mornings, we have Sunday school, and we have adult, and we have youth, and we have, uh, now that we're getting some more youth, we have some, uh, the preteens, and I've appreciate the faithfulness of the teachers. Um, we have some great teachers. 
that are faithful and that are so um, obedient to be here and love the children and love the kids and so appreciative of that. Uh, but is it successful? Is it growing? Well, we have a few. We have a, we have a pretty consistent attendance, but it's certainly not everybody, okay? And I don't know that we can expect everybody to come into Sunday school, even though I think it'd be awesome. I, I think that's a great time of Bible teaching and a great time of sharing. And then we come into Sunday morning praise and worship, and we have awesome worship, spirit-led, um, very sensitive. Now, I know some of you may not like all the music. I understand that. And, and that's expected, by the way. How can, we not, how can we have a group of 40, 50, 70 people and everybody like the music? It's just not going to happen. All right? Let's just recognize this is not going to happen. Somebody's not going to like something about it. But that doesn't mean we can't worship to it, can it? Does it? I mean, if, I'm, if we're coming in here for the right reasons, if we're coming in here, as Lawrence pointed out, if we're coming not to be entertained, but if we're coming to serve the king, then it doesn't make any difference if we don't have any music. We should be able to just sit up, we should be able to fall down on our face and say, Jesus, you are king and you're worthy to be praised. So it shouldn't be about the music, right? It should be about Christians that are serving and loving Jesus. So, but we, fortunately, we have a great worship leader. We have a great worship band. This, this, this group that's come together has been awesome and they just lead us into the presence of the Lord and I'm so appreciative of that. We have teaching, more teaching than preaching. I'm more of a teaching person than a preaching person. Um, I'm not going to apologize for who I am. I have in the past, and I'm not going to apologize anymore. I, I, I love Jesus, and I do the best I can. I do the best I can to open up God's Word every week and study it and ask the Lord to give me wisdom for this particular day, give me the Word for, the, for this day, and do the best that I can to deliver it. And I believe it's effective, and I believe it's productive. I know I get a lot out of it. <laughs> I hope you do. But... The point is, my, my purpose is to please Jesus. My purpose is not to please a man, even though if I'm pleasing Jesus, I will please men. Okay, I, I want to keep that priorities right, but my priority has to be on Jesus first and then men. If I please men first and don't worry about Jesus, then I'm not going to please Jesus. Therefore, I'm not really going to be pleasing the men. But if I please the Lord with my obedience and, and studying and doing and praying and leading and teaching the words that are given, good or bad, if I'm doing that with the eyes on Jesus, that four-foot range, if I'm just looking four feet here and not 24 feet, <laughs> if I'm looking here, believe me, Jesus will be pleased, and ultimately, he will, the people will be pleased because it'll be the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that I have a tendency, and I have had a tendency, and I've had discussions with men that have sharpened me a little bit with this tendency to think that I can be the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I've meddled, and sometimes I have gotten a little bit too deep in people's lives, and for that, I'm, I apologize. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to apologize for the Word of God. Okay. All right, Wednesdays, um, we have a midweek service that is uh, attended by a few faithful, 6, 8, 10, 12, possibly. And I know Wednesdays are hard. I know getting here from wherever you live is difficult. I understand that. Uh, but we have good Bible study. We prepare for it well, I believe. Uh, we've, we, we've done a combination of things from DVDs, series, teaching, from some really, really good teachers to we just are finishing up this Wednesday will be a, our last Wednesday on eschatology. We're going to wrap up the study of the end times. And here's the point of all that. It's not about you agreeing with anything I've said. It's about you understanding the end times are coming and they're here and we, gotta be, we have to be prepared for them. If we're not expecting it, then we'll be left behind. If you're not anticipating the return of Jesus at any given time, then you know what? You're going to be one of the five 
foolish virgins, and your oil is going to run out, and you will not be prepared. So the whole purpose of the study of the end times is not to tell you how smart I am or not to tell you that I've got it figured out. The whole purpose of that whole study was to bring a sense of urgency, folks, that we are in the end time and to keep the oil in your lamp. That's it. That's the whole purpose of it. We'll finish it up this Wednesday. From there, we're going to take, the, take the month of August off for Wednesday nights, and we're going to refocus a little bit. We're going to try to figure out, are we effective, are we productive with Wednesday night services, or should we look at something different? Now, I've talked to a lot of pastors and done some reading, and I can't say that I'm exhaustive in it because there's always more to read. Believe me, there's always more to read, as you probably know, if you've been on the Internet at all. But I have been asking the Lord, what's the best model for our church? Should we continue in the Sunday school Wednesday night model, or should we look at some other things? Are, are there better ways, that we, are there more productive ways that we can be when it comes to being a church in our community that is truly reaching out into the, into the goodness of God's love? And there are some churches that do small groups called various things, life groups, small groups, body ministry, uh, you name it. They call it all kinds of things. I don't know what to do necessarily on this, but I do feel that we need to investigate and look at models that can best fit our church demographics, that can best fit our community, that can best include and encourage everybody did you hear what I said? Everybody that walks into this church to get involved. That there, is, there are no spectators in church. This is not a spectator sport. This is a get involved, roll your sleeves up, get involved and serve Jesus sport. And I know that that comes with maturing. I know that there are people that would come into a church that are hurting, that are new Christians, that aren't ready to, to get involved in ministry yet. I know that. And those are people that we need to serve and we need to love and we need to support and we need to give them un, un, um, unapologetic and un... What's the word? Un what? Help me. Unconditional. Thank you. I'm glad somebody else knows it. Unconditional love. They don't have to look like us for us to love them, do they? They don't have to smell like us for us to love them. They don't have to have the money that we have. They don't have to have the house. They don't have to have anything. We just have to love them. That's our job. That's what Jesus would do, right? So if we're going to be a center point church, if we're going to be a, point, a church that puts Jesus first, then let's act like it. Let's let Jesus live through us and let's love people unconditionally. And can I tell you, that's really hard for me. Can I tell you, one of the things that I'm praying for is that the Lord will give me grace, that the Lord will give me mercy, because I'm as judgmental as you are. I am as guilty of that as you are. I'm as guilty as looking at a person and, and seeing their bad before I see their good. And I'm falling on my face before the Lord. I'm asking him, Lord, change me. Help me be different. Help me to look at people for the way you see people, for the potential that you see in people, and for the good that you want to do with people. Going to Colorado has been a help for me, seeing those kids. And I'm so appreciative of that. So that's kind of where my heart is at on that. So I want, I, I believe that, that that maturation process comes from those that come in without any uh, church background, any church knowledge, any, any preconceived notions on how to be a Christian that comes into a body of believers full of maturing Christians. Now, none of us are mature in here, I'll tell you right now. None of us are mature. We're maturing. We're maturing Christians. 
none of us are there. If you're there, you're dead. I mean, I mean, if you're there, you're in the ground. <laughs> if, you're, if you're there, you're in heaven. Those are the only people that I know that have, reached, that, have, that have reached it are those that have gone ahead of us. So, but our role as a maturing Christian is to walk into this place, into this body of believers. Every time we come in, we should be coming in with a prospect or as an attitude to say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, prepare me to come to church today. Prepare me to come in my, with my brothers and sisters. and Prepare me to be of servant today. Prepare me to come in with an attitude of, wow, what can I do for the church today? Not what can the church can do for me today. But I shouldn't come in with an attitude of, boy, I hope I like the music. Boy, I hope he doesn't preach till 12. Boy, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. You know, that's not mature. That's not mature. You might be in this church 30, 40 years. But if that is your attitude, let me tell you right now, that's not mature. That's a, that's a baby Christian perspective. That's a, that's a perspective to say, feed me. Feed me because I can't feed myself. I can't handle the meat. I just want milk. So feed me a good song. Feed me a good message. Feed me whatever I need. But that's not mature. We need to mature through that, don't we? We need to come in with an attitude to say, all right, Lord, I'm your servant today. You know, um, I, read a, I read a devotional let me read just a part of it because it kind of spoke to my mind. You probably have already, if you have this, you've, you've read it because it was yesterday's actually. Let me just, it's talked about simply serving. And uh, let me just read a part of it. It says, Pilate, Pilate had an opportunity to acquit Jesus of any wrongdoing, but instead he called for a basin and washed his hands of the entire matter. His attitude was, I'm not getting involved. And a lot of people have that same attitude, but not Jesus. The night before his death, he called for a basin of water, and he washed his disciples' feet. Isn't that interesting? Pilate called for a basin of water to wash his hands of the matter. Jesus called for a basin of water to be a servant. What kind of basin of water are you calling for? What kind of basin of water am I calling? Jesus taught them, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Mark chapter 10, verse 30, 43. Peter objected because foot washing was a duty designated to the lowest servant in Middle Eastern households, and he considered it beneath Christ's dignity. Catherine Marshall writes, we, the disciples, are to be the servants. I want to insist along with Peter. But Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. See, service is being a part of Christ. If I'm not willing to wash your feet, and if I'm not willing to allow you to wash my feet, then I have no part of Christ. Yeah. So we come in with an attitude of service. We come in with an attitude of, God, what can I do for you today? And what can I do for the people that you love today? And what can I do for the people that I'm supposed to be loving today? Because I'm supposed to love you. You're supposed to love me. <laughs> hard to do? Easy to do? I don't know. Yes, it is hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to love people, but Jesus loves them. And if Jesus loves them, and if I'm a Christ follower, if I'm Christ-like, then I need to love them too. So therefore, I come in with a service, an attitude of love, an attitude, how can I, how can I service the one that Jesus you love and Mike you're supposed to love? So, good question, isn't it? How do we do that? How do we do that? Now, 
That maturing process takes time. I understand that. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes getting involved. It takes staying involved. It really takes listening to the great command that Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations can be all people in Charlevoix. Let's make it what's respected to us, okay? All nations are all people. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're to go, we're to evangelize, we're to make disciples, we're to baptize, and we're to teach. We have a process. There is, there is work in this process of being part of the body of Christ. It's not just coming in to be served or to serve, but it's the work. It's to go out into the highways and the byways. Um, the other area that I really want to focus on in our church, I believe, over the next weeks is our youth. I really want to focus on youth ministry. Um, I love you. I love the people, you know, but there's a special spot in my heart for youth because youth are the future. And if we're not hitting the youth, if we're not, if we're not preparing the youth, then we're really not preparing the church of Jesus Christ, are we? Because it's not about just us soul folks that, you know, we like to come and stroke each other and make us feel good. It's not that about that at all. It's about us reaching into the lives of hurting youth that maybe don't know where to go. You know, it's, it's really scary when you take a look at the statistics about how the church is declining age-wise. The church is getting older age-wise. And this millennial generation is falling away and not coming back. Why is that? Why is it that we can, while we're old enough, or why our kids are young enough that we can control and we can manipulate them and we can bring them to church, why is it that when they're old enough to go to church on their own, they don't want to come back to church? What, what are we missing? What have, where have we failed, church? Where have we failed for our children and our youth that don't see faith of their own when they get older to make that decision, where have we failed? Obviously, the church is failing. Otherwise, youth would be staying in the church, right? So where have we failed? I, I, I can think that we failed at home a little bit. We can't blame the church for this potential problem. We have to look at our attitudes, mom and dad, at home because what children see most is parents' attitudes when they're not in church. It's easy to come to church and put the face on. It's easy to do that, to put the facade on and be smiling, be happy, and greet everybody, and everybody sees, well, they're a good family. But at home, the face comes off, right? So um, when we come in, if we're not a mature Christian in the church, then we're not going to be a mature Christian at home. In fact, our kids are going to be maybe a little bit confused as to, Mom and Dad, I thought you were mature Christians. Then why are you talking this way to each other? Why are you doing this amongst yourselves? Why are you not reading the Bible at home? Why are you not praying at home? Why are you not excited to come to church? Why are you not excited to be, at the body, to be in the body whenever we can be together? Why are you not leading us in Bible studies and the importance of being together in the body of Christ? That's a big question. Amen. She said, it's not what's taught, it's what's caught. Yeah. 
Amen. Yeah. They see it. They see the attitudes more than they see the, the aptitudes. They see what's in the heart. They, they have a way to do that. So our challenge is, church, parents, that we create an atmosphere for youth, that we love them unconditionally. They're going to make mistakes, aren't they? Yeah, but we love them. We don't throw them out. We don't criticize them. We love them. And we put a focus on youth. We're praying for youth pastors in our church right now. I know we don't have one. We're praying for one. We're praying that God's going to lead up and raise up somebody that's going to say, that's my passion, not the idea of the pastor to come talk to you to be a youth pastor. That's not the point. We're looking for somebody to say, that's my passion. The Lord has called me. He's raised me up for this day at this time to come and work with a handful of two, three, four, or five kids that we have and to grow them spiritually so that they will go out and invite their friends so that their friends will grow spiritually too. So that's the call that we have in youth ministry. It's important, very significant, probably the most important call that we have as a church. Um, Recognizing a need... For everybody to have service. You know, the old saying is you get out what you put in. Very much applies in church. You get out of church what you're willing to put in the church. Right? If you're not willing to put a whole lot in, then don't expect to get a whole lot out. If you're not willing to come in to praise and worship and say, God, I'm going to give you all myself like we sung today, that the songs were today about that if I'm not willing to come in and give my life to Jesus, if I'm not willing to come in and surrender my life to Jesus, if I'm not willing to come in and give him my worship because he's worthy, then I'm not going to get allowed out of that worship service. I'm going to sit and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, critique it and I'm going to twist it. I'm going to think, well, how could they have done this better? How could they have done that better? Okay. Um, if I come into a church not really wanting to be a part of the solution then I'm really part of the problem. Then I'm coming in and I'm critiquing, you don't have enough programs, or you have too many programs, or you expect me to do too much, or you don't expect me to do anything at all. I mean, you know, when we come in looking to, the, to find the problems, believe me, you'll find the problems because there's problems in our church. There's problems in the Church of America. And if you're coming in to find the problems, let me tell you, you'll find them. You will not be disappointed because you will find the problems. But if you can come in to say, I want to be part of the solution... Now you're coming in with a whole different mindset, a whole different attitude. And as a result, the whole church will be different. If everybody came in with an attitude of, how can I help fix? How can I help serve? How can I help do? Everybody would be happy. Seriously, I believe that. I believe with all my heart that Jesus didn't create the church for problems. He created a church that we would serve each other. Yeah. Now, I also know that there is a thing called busyness of life. And let me just focus on this for a few minutes, and then we'll probably leave. I know how busy life is. And the reason I know that is because I've experienced it too. Can I just share from my, can I give you my testimony? Can I share what's happened in my life so that I can, so that I can let you know that I'm just not a preacher up here rambling on? All right, I'm 55 years old. I graduated from college when I was 25 years old, 24, 25 years old. And uh, we were at Michigan Tech. I was already married three years. Chris and I got married when I was uh, going into college. We got married, and uh, we pl- <laughs> Chris was an awesome planner. We planned out having children, and we had a child um, 
spring semester of my senior year. So we graduated uh, with electrical engineering degree, with a child, with a job, and we went to Milwaukee, and we spent 12 months in Milwaukee, sales training in Milwaukee. I graduated from sales training, I came to Detroit, and I worked in the automotive industry selling factory automation. Now, I, I, it was, let me just, I, 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 there's a lot of stressful jobs. I understand that there's a lot of stressful jobs, but this was one of the most stressful jobs, besides pastoring, <laughs> I could have. <laughs> because in the automotive industry, when you're selling factory automation, if you have a component that doesn't work right, and if you shut a factory line down, if you shut an assembly line down, if you shut a production line down, in that, ex in that industry, you're talking thousands of dollars a minute downtime. And as soon as a line down, managers from all levels are on top of it. And you're called in, and there's all kinds of pressure to be put on that. So that was a hard industry to be in for 25, 22 years, whatever I was in there. In that period of time, um, we had three other children. I drove, uh, lived in sometime in Royal Oak, moved to Brighton, where we spent 20 of our, 16 of our years, I'm not sure, 17, something like that. But in that period of time, I drove 50,000 miles a year between Brighton and Detroit. So I spent a lot of time in the car, a lot of time running around. I was busy, busy, busy. Now, in that period of time, we knew that we needed to have, there, there was about my mid-30s or so, the Lord really captured my heart again. I had fallen away in that early 20s, mid-20s, even, I, even though I looked good, even though nobody up here knew it, nobody had any idea what I did. I didn't do some good things. I, I, I fell away a little bit. A lot. All right? In my mid-30s, the Lord recaptured my heart, recaptured Chris's heart. And we got reinvolved with Bob Bradley's church down in Ferndale, Somebody's of God Church in Ferndale, and that's really where it started to come back. We moved to Brighton. We found a church in Brighton. We went into that church, and we felt immediately our first visit there that that was a church for us. So we were chasing God now with a new family. And um, one of the first things that we did. The name of the church was Bethel Ministry Centers, and um, no offensive to Michael, um, our, our Messianic Jewish friend, I didn't know what Bethel was. I thought it might have been a Jewish synagogue. I didn't know. So I went to talk to Pastor Ken. I said, Ken, who are you? What are you? I like what I see, but what are you? So we had a meal. Within the first two weeks we were there, I had, a, I had dinner with him, and I, I heard what he was, and I said, I want, we feel, Chris and I feel led to be part of this church. So we jumped in both feet. Chris was inv as involved in it as I was. She was, the, uh, she was a decorator. She organized the church basement, which was a mess. She, we repainted the nursery walls. Uh, she was in nursery. I mean, she was in, in all of it. She was right there with us. Um, it wasn't long there, and I started teaching Sunday school class. I, started, I, was a, I became an elder, a deacon. I became the church treasurer, the church clerk. We automated the... Um, giving system from a hand system to a computerized system, doing all of that while I'm still working for Alan Bradley, Rockwell, Mac and Mac, all that period of time. I'm not telling you, I'm not bragging to you, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. We had four kids that came up through the athletic program there. They were part of uh, travel baseball, uh, volleyball, some basketball. We prioritized our life. Okay? When our kids were playing travel ball, we told the coaches there, that that's great, but understand Sunday mornings are church time, and we're not going to be at that game. We're not, we're not traveling on Sunday mornings to play basketball or baseball. They can be there any other time. If you have a problem with that, I'm telling you up front so that you can choose another kid. 
that you can put another kid in that spot because if it's necessary that they're there on Sunday morning, then find another child. And most of the coaches said, okay, and we, and we worked with that, and it was fine. We prioritized Sunday mornings to be special. It was God's time, and it was family time, and it was time that we showed our children that mom and dad were excited to go to church, that mom and dad were involved in church. We were excited. We were there on Wednesday nights. Um, for a while, the church had a Bible school on Tuesday nights. Ken, our pastor Ken, asked me if I would teach. I taught a, I taught a Bible school. I taught um, a, leader, a Leader in the Making, written by um, the woman. Very dynamic speaker, very manly. Somebody help me. Yeah, Myers. Joyce Myers. Taught that, okay. Uh, so I'm just... I hope she doesn't get offended. I say very manly. manly. Well, she's a very bold, manly type speaker. <laughs> the deep voice. Thank you. <laughs> Man. Yeah, she can sing. Mama sang bass. Yeah. The whole point is that we got involved. We moved up here in 2005. I came up here to uh, start up Elog with my dad. Um, Pastor Rip was pastoring the church here, and we were really busy. I'm commuting back and forth. And I, it wasn't long as I got up here, I got involved with Pastor Rip. I said, what can I do to help? Um, it wasn't long, and I was teaching an adult Sunday school class. And we taught on uh, Randy Alcorn, uh, the book on heaven. So you remember that? It was an awesome study. I loved it. And we did that and uh, got involved. I supported Pastor Rip. I came on Wednesday nights as often as I could. Certainly there were some times probably where I couldn't. But I made a point to make sure that he knew that I was supporting him as a pastor. So my point is, I've been on both sides. I've been on your side, I've been on the pastoring side, and I, so therefore I have some credibility in what I speak because of that. Um, pastor, in 2009, Pastor Rip uh, moved on, and the church asked if I would step in on an interim basis. While I'm still at Pine River, so I'm running Pine River from 2009, I start pastoring in the summer of 2009, and my wife said, we can do anything for a year. Right, Chris? <laughs> we can do anything for a year. Um, it was a one-year assignment, so we took it, and um, when, when ELOG closed down in 2010, um, then I went and I worked with Marv down in uh, Action and uh, Laminin for part-time. I commuted down there back and forth for uh, six, eight months. And that means I left here on Sunday night. I drove, I worked down there. I did the best I could do. I probably didn't do the, the best job down there. I did my best with them for until Wednesday afternoon. I drove back so for Wednesday night church and be here for the weekend. Did that for eight months. Finally, uh, determined that that was not the best thing to do. I needed to go full-time pastoring, so I came, became full-time pastor in 2011. And here it brings me now. So, um, my whole point in saying all that is that I understand busy. I understand what it means to be busy. I also understand what it means to tithe. The Bible says that if we were to tithe our first 10%, that the Lord promises, promises, that he will meet our every need right? I mean, there's no if, and, or but. It is a promise. If I tithe of my income, the first 10%, he says, test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven, the storehouses of heaven, and I will, I will bless you, meet you every need, and even sometimes our wants, but certainly our needs, for sure. Now, here it is. Time is the most valuable commodity that we have. It's more valuable than money because I can have all the money in the world, but if I don't have any time, if my time has run out, the money is no value. 
So if God is saying, I'm putting so much emphasis on your money, how much more is he putting on your time? Because that's more precious than money. It's more precious that, I, that I'm a good steward of my time than I am of my money. So I believe that we could very easily apply that same principle of stewardship that we are to have of our resources, of our money, into the area of our time. So if I was to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to tithe the best 10% of my time, and I'm going to make it yours, because it's a gift anyways of mine. I, I can't take credit for any breath. I'm appreciative of the last breath I just took, but the next one, I can't take credit for that. I have no control over that. There's nothing to say that God will take my life right now, and I have no control over that next breath. So the gift of time is a gift. It's not something I earn. It's not something you earn. So when I recognize that the gift of time is a gift, and I'm, stri I'm strictly a steward of it, then I can understand more why God says that there will come a day where every knee will bow and every man will confess who is Lord and then I will give an account of every idle word I speak and all of my time that I've spent on this earth. Why? Because it wasn't mine to begin with. It was God's and he just strictly gave me the steward of that time. So now if I take that first 10% of my time and I say, Lord, I'm going to give it back to you like he does with money, he will make my rest of my 90% of time more productive, more effective, more relative, more, more um, meaningful than if I kept 100% to myself. So, when you're basically out of time and you're so busy, can we recognize that that might be a curse of the enemy that would make you so busy that you don't have time for God? That you don't have time to read your Bible? That you don't have time to pray? That you don't have time to come to church and be with your brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, it just, it's, it's just so evident that we are a product of our priorities. We will do whatever we want to do. We'll figure time to play. When I was a, when I was a golfer a lot, I found lots of time to golf to the expense of my family. I even lied about it where I was sometimes. I was a golfaholic. Seriously, I was. I understand what this, what, how it can be so how things like that can be so overwhelmingly powerful because I was a golfaholic. I, I saw a golf course, I had to play it. I just did, or I would get physically ill. I would make arguments. I would make excuses why I had to play that golf course. Now, I know it sounds like I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, but that's true for me. It was. Now, God, thank God he delivered me of that in 2005 because if I would have come up here with that same addiction, there's no way I would have ever ran e-log into the ground. <laughs> I, know, I know that company failed. I know that. So I'm not saying that I'm a success story, but I'm saying that I gave it all ahead. Okay, let's move off that. So here we are as time, busyness. Can I just encourage us all this, this, this today? Can we just end with this encouragement to say, can we not, I, I, can, we, can we refocus our time 
can't, I don't know, I don't care if you're a, a young person in high school, if you're a college student, if you're a graduate, if you're a young parent with no kids, a parent with kids, if you're a grandparent, if you're retired, the time element is for all of us. It hits us all right between the eyes, doesn't it? That's why I was so impacted. Scott, you were a reason why I preached this today because I saw your commitment. And I was so moved for the fact that you were here. You didn't have to be, but you were here. And that, that inspired me, it touched me, it encourages me. And for all others here this morning that are committed to your church, and when we can look at it as my church, when you can take a look at it as your church, uh, I think you'll have a little different attitude about it. It's not the pastor's church. It's not my church. It's God's church. But God has given us stewardship of it. He's given you stewardship of it. He's given your hands to work it, your feet to work it, not mine. I'm just a hired hand. I'm just a shepherd. Yeah, I know I have work to do, and I'm willing to work it, and I'm doing the best I can. But we all need each other, right? We need each other. And so as we go through the month of August and we try to regroup, what are we going to be? What are we going to be come fall? What do you want to be? I I'm open to your ideas. I'm open to your suggestions. Um, I'm really careful now what I'm saying I'm going to do, but I, my purpose is I would like to form a, a committee. I would like to form some, some people that, I can, that we, we can, I can trust and talk to them. And, and I don't want this to be my decision. I want it to be our decision because I want your ownership of it. If you're not owning it, it's not going to work. If you're not willing to commit to it, if it's just my idea that I'm trying to punch down, top down, it's not going to work. It's, it's got to come from the bottom up. It's got to come from all around us. And we have to agree together as a body what we're going to be in this community. I'll tell you, God has got some awesome things in store for us because we're willing to listen to him. Yeah, because we're willing to worship him, because we're willing to praise him, because we're willing to give ourselves of him. He will bless over and over and over again, and he'll do it in our homes and our churches. He'll do it in East Jordan. He'll do it in Boyne City. He'll do it in Charlevoix. He'll do it in Horton Bay, even though that's not on the way to Traverse City. You've got to heard that message to understand that one. Um, but, you know, he'll do it wherever we're at if we're willing to give it to him, right? So this morning, that's all I wanted to say. And I hope that this resonates. I hope that this fits. I hope that people are challenged. I hope that people are encouraged. I hope that people believe that this is an awesome place to be. Amen? Amen. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we just are pursuing you as a true pursuit. Lord Jesus, we want you more than anything in our life. We want you more than the time of the day. Now, I know, God, that we don't want to delay things. We're not out just to make a point. But, Jesus, we want to serve you and we want to worship you. We, want to wor we just want to be pleasing to you. So, anyway, as we sing this song, Father, would you be pleased? And would you help us? Would we grasp the promise that you have for us in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Stand, if you will. If you need to go, you're free to go. Well, let's just worship just for a minute, then we'll go to our homes. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. No matter how small my all may be, I'm giving you all there is to me. No matter how small my 
Father, we just thank you for this day. God, we just thank you for your mercy and your grace. You are beautiful. And Lord, now as we go to our homes today, would you be glorified, Jesus? Would you be praised in everything we say and we do, Father, and bring us back next time, excited, ready to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Amen. You're free to go. Amen.